Hello and welcome to the Mythological Africans podcast, where we read and talk about stories from African mythology and folklore. I am your host, Helen Day. Episodes of this podcast come from live recordings of the Mythological African Storytime Sessions, which took place on Friday evenings at 5 p.m. Eastern Time U.S. on the Mythological African's Twitter space. plan today is to read a couple of stories from um, the upcoming collection, so the original folk tales that my retellings are based on. So what I will do actually is put a couple of links in the space so that if you want to go back for reference, you'll have that. So this is the working table of content. And um, just for more context, in case you don't know, I'm writing a book right now. It's due for publication um, on January 25th, so in roughly two weeks. And um, it's based on African folk tales that I have retold. So what the tweet I just shared in this space is a table of contents. And what we're going to do today is read a couple of the original stories that um, these, these retellings are based on. So that's the table of content. And then the other thing I'm going to do is put in here a link to one of the stories that we'll read. This is the spirit, uh, the spirit in the tree. And it's a story from the Zulu people in South Africa. And I retell that. And then the other one is actually unnamed. And I had to do quite a bit of digging to figure out this where this story came from because it said it came from the Lignyasa area. And Lignyasa is like Malawi, you know, East Africa. And this one just doesn't have a title. So I, I named it Eternal Love because it's a beautiful short story. Um, and it is from a book by Odette St. Lys. Um, and it's called From a Vanished German Colony, a collection of folklore, folk tales, and proverbs from Southwest Africa. So what's interesting is that this is a story that someone who migrated from East Africa to, um, uh, I think this is more like South Africa, more on that the other part away from East Africa. Um, this person migrated and so told this story. So it's captured in this in this collection. Um, and it's a really sweet love story. I like it very much. So I'm going to put that in the chat as well so we can you can go reference them. And then the third story that I'm thinking we'll read today is... Um, so in, in the book, it's called The Monkey Girl, but I renamed it to The Alejanu Princess um, just because there are some racial undertones that I was a bit iffy about, and I didn't want to dabble in that at all. So I rewrote the story a bit differently. Um, well, pretty true to the original theme, but I rewrote a couple of things differently. So that one is not available online, unfortunately. Um, I think the only place that I've been able to find it is it's talked about 
in this woman's blog um, and she gives a summary of it I think if I can find it but it is um, it is a, a story that's found in a collection of folk tales um, put together by Leo Frobenius who was a German um, ethnographer type explorer person who decided that he wanted to see what um, erotic type folk tales were available in African mythology and made a point to collect those because it seemed like you know these people, these Europeans would show up and they would collect stories, but then they would never be, you know, sexual stories. And I imagine the, they were looking at the culture and going, but these people seem to have a pretty vibrant sexual culture. So why are we not hearing these stories? So he made a point to collect those types of stories. And it's a fascinating, fascinating book because it gives you, it gives you a, a picture of, you know, African folklore that you not usually get in the books that are widely available unfortunately this one is not um is not available like this book um normally i go to the internet archive to see if i can find some of these books and this one is just not one of the ones that is, that's um available to check out um but i have a copy which i'm very glad i invested in it because it's, it's amazing and um this woman called midori snyder did an essay on it and in that essay she summarizes the book and talks about it a bit so you can get a sense of what the story is and i retell it as the allegheny princess like i said so i'm gonna share that in there as well so we have a few stories to go through um we'll do the two short stories first and then if we have time after our discussion of them then we'll read the longer story otherwise you know we can read the blog read you can read the blog post and um read the blog post and then buy the runaway princess and other stories to hear my retelling of it so welcome Gemma. good to have you in the room i'm really glad you're able to make it today i'm going to give you the ability to speak if you want to join us otherwise you're free to stay in listener mode um no worries laura it's all right i i really appreciate you being here um so okay so we'll get started and i think the first we'll just go in the order that i shared them um in in the thread so we'll read the spirit in the tree first and i retell it as the spirit of the tree in of potato potato and it's a story from the zulu people of south africa there was once a zulu girl whose mother had died and whose stepmother was very cruel to her one day when she was crying at her mother's grave she saw that the earth of the grave had parted and a stalk started to grow out of it a stalk started to grow out of it this grew into a sapling and soon into a tree. The wind rustled its leaves and the tree whispered to the girl, telling her that her mother was near and that she should eat the fruit of the tree. The girl did, and the fruits were very tasty and made her feel much better. This happened every day from then on, but as soon as the crow's stepmother discovered what was happening, she went to her husband, the girl's father, and insisted that he cut the tree down. The tree lay withering and the girl wept on its main trunk for a long time until she heard a whisper and saw a lump growing up from the trunk. It grew and grew until it was a pumpkin. There was a hole in it from which leaked a trickle of juice. The girl licked up a few drops and found them very nourishing, but again her stepmother soon found out and one dark night cut the pumpkin off and threw it on the dung heap. The next day the girl wept and wept until she heard a trickling sound and saw a little stream which whispered. Drink me, drink me. 
She did and felt much refreshed. But now the girl's stepmother made her father throw sand in the stream and bury it. So the girl went back to the grave where she cried and cried. She had been sitting there for a long time when a man appeared from the bush. He saw the dead tree and decided it was just what he needed to make a bow and arrow, for he was a hunter. He talked to the girl who told him that the tree had once grown on her mother's grave. He liked her and decided to go ask her father for a hand in marriage. Her father consented on condition that the hunter kill a dozen buffalo for the wedding feast. The hunter had never killed more than one buffalo at the time. That was difficult enough. But this time, taking his new bow and arrows, he had not been long in the bush when he saw a herd of, do of a dozen buffalo resting in the shade. Setting one of his arrows to his bow, he let it fly, and the first buffalo sank down dead, and then the second, and then the third. An hour later, the hunter came back to tell the father to send men to bring the meat to the village. There was a big feast when the hunter married the poor girl who had lost her mother. For it is said, it does not matter how hard the day or dark the time, it will all pass if you believe in the spirit of the tree. The end. Any, any thoughts on the story? What a great story, Helen. Oh my gosh. It's like the Cinderella that we need. That's it is, beautiful. It is, isn't it? And what's interesting is that you have the whole pumpkin thing in there too, although it doesn't turn into a carriage necessarily. But I thought that was a, that was a nice uh, parallel. Um, but, but, you know, wicked stepmothers, I, I just find that I, I was actually thinking about it. And in this collection, this is, there is another wicked stepmother type story. There are actually two other wicked stepmother type stories, but in different contexts, right? In different contexts. And, you know, we can probe at the cultural undertones of all of that you know, wicked stepmother thing, but it, it appears fairly, you know, regularly across folktales, you know, everywhere in the world. So I, I, it, it's hard, it was hard not to make that the focus of the story, but I also, in my retelling, try to focus more on the girl's relationship with her husband, right? Because in the story, the guy is kind of this, you know, figure who shows up and kind of takes her away. But I write the story from, you know, the perspective of how, you know, is it just that she was there and she was beautiful, you know, or are there other reasons that might lead a young man to, you know, propose to a girl who is in this kind of situation? That's kind of what I want to explore in this story. But then something funny that happened, a funny story that happened as I was writing this story. So I tried to, you know, because buffalo, buffaloes will stampede, right? Like if you have a herd of buffalo and you shoot one, normally they will stampede. So I tried to think of like a way to contextualize the fact that, you know, the, the buffaloes were not stampeding. And this was me. It's probably good that things turned out the way the way they did, because this was me stepping out of my, you know, happy, magical thinking place for a second to try to, you know, be realistic in the story. And it backfired magnificently. So I started researching and um in, in the story, the tree, I made the tree an umganu tree. Um, this is uh, the, the marula. And if you're familiar with Southern or Eastern Africa culture and lore, the marula tree is very important. The fruit, uh, humans eat it, birds, uh, birds eat it, um, elephants eat it, everybody eats it. And it's also used to make a liqueur that's very popular. So 
in my and there was this there's this urban or this uh, a myth that the marula will will get um, fermented when it falls and stays it gets fermented and animals will get drunk off of it so i was thinking okay let's make it a marula tree and you know the the buffalo are sluggish because they ate the marula fruit and i was all confident with that theory until i decided to think well will animals get drunk off of eating fermented marula fruit and I found something terrible out. So there is a documentary which purports to show elephants getting drunk off of eating marula fruit, you know, fermented marula fruit. And it turns out that the man who made this documentary, and I'm not going to name him and, you know, dignify him because what he did was actually awful. He fed these elephants alcohol. You know, he fed them alcohol and then videotaped them, you know, under the influence and passed it off as you know, elephants being drunk because they ate marula fruit. So that video is on the internet and it has propagated this idea that, you know, if, if elephants or animals eat fermented fruit, they will get drunk off of it. And I was just thinking those poor animals, you know, just being used so callously to promote this guy's agenda. And for that reason, you know, I, I had to go away from that line of thinking and, you know, tell the story as it shows up. And of course, it has to be the mother's, you know, the girl's mother's intervention, right? Showing up to take care of her daughter. So anyway, that, that was one, <laughs> one interesting that happened as I was retelling the story. But that it, it kind of also speaks to the process. So it, it wasn't just me retelling these stories. I tried to understand the context out of which they came. Um, and reflect that as much as possible in the stories, right? Because this, this folktale is just, you know, one folktale in the list of multiple Zulu folktales that I found on a website. Um, and there, there, there was a part of me that wanted to make sure that I was, you know, faithful to the story itself, but also bringing in something new. So, um, but yeah, that, 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 Marula, that Marula story kind of got to me because I, I was just so mad for those elephants. Uh, Laura? And welcome, Mark. Welcome, Jim. Good to have you all here. Well, I was just thinking I like it better with it being the, the magical thinking and the mother's blessing, because that's how I interpreted the man showing up, too, because it wasn't just like, you know, the prince coming upon Sleeping Beauty mm -hmm. or, you know, some random guy. But but somehow she must have blessed this union, right, because like she's there in the bow and arrow and and she's part of how he was able to accomplish the wedding task so like the mother's presence to me was the powerful thing here and in the brothers grim most at least my students most of them didn't know the brothers grim version of the story where it is the tree growing out of the mother's grave that gives all the magic to cinderella because that's not in the disney you know disney didn't want trees and graves and so I think this is just great, like all power to the mother spirit in the tree. I think that's fantastic. Lovely, lovely. Right. I think so. Something that I'm going to do um, in the future is more Afro Grimm retellings. And if you don't know what Afro Grimm is, is I take a Grimm story and uh, a story from the Brothers Grimm's collection and I retell it, it like from an African perspective. And I've done quite a few of those. Um, on here. And I, I just think it's amazing because it's it's like you have these cultural nuances and these magical ways in which things happen. And sometimes they are just startlingly, startlingly similar, right? And, and sometimes they are absolutely different. And I imagine that this story, um, you know, 
takes a little bit from here, takes a little bit from there. And that's just the beauty of storytelling. Um, that th th These are waters that I, I tend to tread very carefully because um, as we've talked about before, some people get really into, oh, where did this story come from? And my position is, yes, you could get into the weeds of tracing where a story comes from, but a story is a story and ultimately reflects the human experience. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to linger too long on that. But I definitely want to do more Afro Grimm because there's there is always something interesting happening there. Um any other any other thoughts or comments on this story before we move on? And Gemma, I see your comment online and it's it's all right. Just whatever works for you. Um you can always if you have questions, you can put them in the comment area and I'm keeping an eye on that so I can monitor that as well. If there are no questions, then I'm going to read the next story on our list, which is really one of my favorites. And this one doesn't have a title. Um, in the book, it's just tale number two, which I think is actually kind of funny. In the book, it's just tale number two. Um, and the, the link is in there from um, archive.org, Internet Archive. And I'm going to pause to do my spiel every time I bring up the Internet Archive because I don't think my work would be possible without this resource. So if you don't know the Internet Archive, it's an online library, which um, basically what they do is they take books, new and old, and not just books, videos, pictures, audio recordings. It's just a... a, a library of libraries and they scan this information and make it available online for free so you create a free account and from there you can check books out um, if the book is in the public domain as this book we're about to read is then there is no limit on how many people can check it out but if it is um, you know if it's still on the copyright uh, there are limits to how many people can check it out at a time so you can check it out for an hour you can check it out for 14 days and there, there are those limits about it but it is an incredible resource, especially for African um, mythology and folklore, because a lot of these books, we're talking about Leo Frobenius's, you know, African tales. My copy costs almost a hundred bucks. It was like $78. Um, and a lot of the other books that are available on the archive are out of print. So it's a, it's an amazing way to connect with resources from a wide variety of, of um, cultures and peoples across the world. And it's ever expanding. So um, please sign up, you know, create an account. And if you can um, support, because it's, it's, it's basically, it runs on donations and the work they do is just simply amazing. And um, they're, they've been in, you know, under some pressure recently from publishers to, you know, take off some books because they think it's being unfair, but it really is just a library. It operates like a library. And um, I, like I said before, I don't think, you know, myth mythological Africans would be what it is without the Internet Archive, especially for African mythology and folklore, which in addition, um, Laura, who's here, has done a compilation of the resources that are available on the Internet Archive that um, are African mythology and folklore and culture in general related. And I should always have that tweet somewhere near. But Laura, if you want to drop a link to it in this thread, I'll add it to the chat. Um, if you're interested in African mythology and folklore, this is definitely a resource you should check out because it's just, it's 432 pages long, if I remember correctly, and it links directly to the book in the archive. So you can have as much fun in there as you wish. And I'm willing to bet that this book we're about to read is in that resource. So check it out. So 
now we are going to do story story number one as it's called but in my retelling i call it eternal love and it's a story from the Nyas, lake nyasa area which is um, malawi central eastern africa um so it tells the story of a man who went and married a very beautiful girl and they loved each other very much till when they were in their house the husband said to the woman i love you dearly the day i die i will appear to you and the woman said the same to him but after many days the husband fell sick and died and many people came and wept much and the wife wept feeling confidence in the words which they had promised one another he who had died was buried but the wife would not consent to return with the people when the people returned she was left by herself at the grave just singing by herself and then she saw the earth of the grave split and he came out to her and the young woman, when she saw him, rejoiced much, and they went away to their house. The woman's mother went on grieving till the evening, and then heard the young woman laughing with great glee. So her mother came and cried out at her and said to her, What are you laughing at? And your husband is dead. And the woman answered, He's not dead, he's inside. And her mother went in and saw that it was true. And after a little while, the young woman herself fell sick and died. And all the people wept, but the man did not weep. He just kept quiet till so they went and buried her. When they returned, the young man did not come back. And he testified as he sang, and he saw that the grave split open, and the woman came out to him, and they went away to their house. Till the evening, that same mother of the girl came and found them both, and they sat in the door, and she went away in joy. And the people, when they saw it, rejoiced. This is the end. What a cool little story. What a cool story. I, I didn't know what to make of it, honestly, when I first read it. And I have to say, even though I went and dug into, you know, the peoples and the cultures around the Lake Nyasa area, I still couldn't make heads or tails of what the story was about. Unless it's like a testament to the power of love that could raise people from the dead. And I figured I wanted to have, you know, a good bunch of love stories in this book because this is not a children's book by the way right it has illustrations and everything but the runaway princess and other stories is not a children's book by any stretch of the imagination there is drama and violence and sex and a whole lot of things so but i wanted to make sure that we had you know a couple of just sweet easy love stories in there um so it's not it's not too crazy but but i i think it's beautiful because love enough to raise people from the dead i mean how 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 beautiful how how amazing laura well and it's such a great example of this this motif that comes up over and over again in all kinds of african folk tales and fairy tales of the end is not the mm -hmm. end people can come back you know you get swallowed by the swallowing monster don't worry we're going to get you out of there you know you get buried in your grave don't worry you're going to come out you of there you know and, water, and that's not everything. what Right. And and that's not happening in, in the real world. Okay. But, but that's why we have stories, right? So we can make those things happen that we deeply desire to happen. I think it's beautiful. Right. And, and that's, honestly, I have um, a proverb from the Zulu people in this story. 
because I, you know, it's a very short story. So I had to expand it a little bit and put some context around it and everything. And I just, I can't wait for you guys to read these stories. I'm so excited. But I have a proverb in there, um, which speaks to just the power of love, you know, the power, the amazing, amazing power of love to, you know, perform miracles. Um, I bet if you dig hard enough into human history, you will hear about stories of people who came back to life um, from the power of love. There are certainly people who have come back to spiritual life and emotional life and, you know, metaphorical life, so to speak, um, from the power of love. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, this this was represented. And Laura is absolutely right. Um, in, in many, many traditional stories from traditional folklore of African people, death is, you know, it's like a cycle, you know, it's even if it happens under difficult circumstances, you know, the hero gets killed, they always come, they, well, not always, they will come back in one way or another. There, There's this beautiful cycle that you observe. Um, and sometimes even the bad guys, you know, will come back to life, which speaks to, you know, the mercy that will exist in some stories. Um, so I, I absolutely love this story. It was such a pleasure to retell and to just kind of let myself get lost in the beautiful love story and the, the you know the mother um she she's a main main person who features in the story and one of my favorite um places where I, I was writing was basically explaining the laughter because there's it's pretty you know obvious in the story where they talk about how um the girl was laughing with great glee with her husband in the house so loud her mother noticed and came to find out so i had to you know write a scene to explain that laughter and i hope i did it justice my sense of humor um might not might not be universal so i can't wait to hear what you guys will think about that one but yes so this story comes from the the lake nyasa area um, I'm thinking we have a little under 30 minutes left here. I'm wondering if, so we've, we've read a few other stories already, um, as part of this exercise. Um, last week we had a conversation with, um, Ubong Edison who translated the poem, The Sacred Spring, um, so this is a story from the Efiki Biobio people in Nigeria, which um, it's a short, very short uh, folktale, but I retold it in verse form. And Edison, who is from the people from whom this story comes, translated the story into the original language. So last week we had a discussion about it and he read a sample of the poem in Ibiobio and I read a sample of the poem as I wrote it. So we, we've had that discussion. And then um, a couple, well, last year in December, I had an inter-intellect salon which that's a whole other thing I have going on. And if you follow me for Logical Africans, you hear about that on the timeline, or if you follow my personal account. But um, I had a, a sound, a gathering, where we talked about tragedy, comedy, and romance in African uh, folklore. And for the comedy section, we read the full poem, The Great Woman Yigoro. So here and there, you know, we've had samplings of the stories that are in this, in this, um, in this collection. Um, Blackbird Medicine is based loosely on a story from the Ila people of Zambia, uh, how, how Ring Dove got, well, what's the title of that story, Laura? I always mix up with how Ring Dove got its, its, um, its ring, but it's the one beautiful Blackbird is based on. I'm always mixing those up. Well, and here's what's funny. Those stories don't have titles, you know, so the anthropologist stuck a, a title on it. Um, 
So I wouldn't worry about it too much, but it is, you know, it's about Blackbird and Lingdove. Right, <laughs> right. So, but it's, it's a story which, um, it's retold by Ashley Bryan as Beautiful Blackbird. And it's a commentary on, um, you know, having something unique and sharing it or not sharing it, depending. And in my retelling, you know, I try to weave in aspects of Ila culture and touch on a couple of sensitive issues. So this is not... This is not a folktale that I retell. It is a context that I took and I wrote an original story out of. So really excited. I'm not going to read that one, obviously, because I want you guys to experience it. And then when we did the session on racism in African folklore, how race, uh, race discourse shows up in African folklore, we read the original um, story that The Darkest Moon is based on, and it's called The Brightest Sun. And this one comes from um, Libya. So we explored that um, the, the racial undertones in the story, which I also explore in my retelling and, you know, dig about it a little bit. And a couple of these, a couple of other stories in here, we have read them or I've talked about them on the timeline. So Takane and the Nanapulele for sure. The Pretty Girl Who Had No Teeth started out as a thread, actually. And if you search Mythological Africans, you will probably find it. So it's in the book. Um, the, the Alejandro Princess is the one story that uh, I think we should probably give a shot at reading, or at least reading a section of it. Um, and then uh, the the Runaway Princess is the Tichua story, and it's the story of Yenenga, who I have done a thread on her before. But I retell the story with a lot more context, and it really was one of my favorite stories to write in here. Uh, the story of Hatumata Jaura, I know we have read this, the first year of Mythological Africans, we definitely read that in here. We've read Umhani. So a lot of these stories are stories that we have run into before. And because people love them and because I love them and they made me think uh, quite a bit, I decided to retell them in the book. So I'm really, I'm really excited. I know I keep saying this, but, um, you know, hype yourself up a little bit, right? But I, I really enjoyed writing these stories and I really, really hope that you guys like them. So let's do this. Uh, the monkey girl is a bit long. Um, so let's see how much of it we can read. And if we run out of time, then we run out of time. But this story, excuse me. <clears throat> this story is from the Kordofan region. And this is in present day Sudan. And um, the, the motifs that show up in the story um, are pretty common. Like it's a standard folktale that, you know, you'll see repeated instances of it. I think there's even a Wikipedia page dedicated to different versions of this story that will that will show up in, in folklore and mythology from across the world. And I'm just trying to see if I can, well, I'll find it and add it to added to the thread. Um, I retell it as the Alejandro Princess because um, there is a way in which the story could be read, which would, you know, give it some undertones that, you know, I honestly didn't want to spend too much time exploring. So we'll see. We'll see how that works out. And in the meantime, I'm just putting the tweet Laura shared to the resource the African Mythology and Folklore um, Collection um, index that she has. Um, and you can, it's a PDF which you can download. So let's read The Monkey Girl from the Kordofan region of Sudan. 
An emir had three sons who slowly grew up to be tall young men. One day their father said to them, take your spears and ride with me out of the village. The sons went and fetched their weapons, mounted their horses and rode out with their father into the plains. The father said, now my sons, I would like to see if you can handle your weapons skillfully enough to be able to defend a wife with them. Do you see those gazelles over there? Go and hunt them with your spears so that I can watch how you go about it. Then the three sons rode off as fast as their horses could carry them while their father followed them more slowly some little way behind. From a distance, the father observed the skill with which they used their spears in pursuit of the animals. When they returned a few hours later, each of them had succeeded in killing three antelopes. The father said, now come back with me to our village. Let us return home. As we ride through the village, each of you may plunge his spear into the ground before the house of the girl whom he wishes to marry. I myself would then later approach the girl's parents and settle the matter with them. The father rode through the village with his sons. When they came to the house of a highly respected man with a beautiful daughter, much coveted by all the young men of the village, the eldest son drove his spear into the ground. Very well, the emir said, I will arrange things for you in due course. When they came to the farm of another respected man who likewise possessed a much coveted daughter, the second son drove his spear into the ground and once again the emir nodded, saying, I am satisfied and this matter too shall be settled. Then they rode on until they had gone through the whole length of the village. The youngest son cantered his horse playfully, trailing his spear between his fingers, but he showed no signs of thrusting it into the ground in front of any of the dwellings. When they reached the far end of the village, the father said, what is your intention now, my son? Have you no desire to get married? The youngest son laughed and said, of course I want to marry, but none of the girls in this village are pretty enough for me. The desert must provide a beautiful girl for me. The young man laughed and dug his spurs into the horse's flanks and it reared up on its hind legs. Then he threw his spear in such a way that it was borne far out into the desert by the wind. The emir shook his head saying, you are young, my son. Otherwise, you would not play about like this either with your weapon or with us. How could I ride out there to settle matters with a woman whose name and family I do not know? You yourself, my son, will have to ride out in search of your spear, and you yourself will have to settle the business of your wife. There is nothing more that I can do about it. Turning his horse, the emir rode through the village back to his seriba, accompanied by his two eldest sons. The youngest son remained where he was, looking out over the desert. He was very much ashamed of himself for he could see that his father was offended and that he had been the cause of his taking offense. The young man was exceedingly handsome and the women and girls all loved him very much, but he himself had never felt any particular inclination towards them. And this is why he had been unable to think of anything better to do with his spear than hurl it out into the desert. The youngest son rode out into the desert, keeping his eyes open as he went in hope of finding his spear. He rode for the space of an hour and did not find his spear. My spear has been my best friend ever since I was a child, he said. It cannot have run away from me like a rebellious slave. The youngest son rode further and further, always in the direction in which he had thrown the spear. And he kept going in the same direction and searched diligently, now to his right and now to his left, but nowhere could he see what he was looking for. The youngest son said, my father was right. It was a thoughtless game I played. Now I realize that my spear cannot possibly have covered such a distance all by itself. There is more to this than meets the eye, and I shall doubtless have something to contend with. 
But now that I am on my way, I will not seek to avoid whatever is that lies, whatever it is that lies in wait for me. When the youngest son had ridden on a little further, he saw, rising out of the desert, a solitary tree with his spear firmly embedded in its trunk. Having arrived beneath the tree, the youngest son looked up into its branches, and sitting crouched in their midst was a young female Gerda. Gerda are a species of monkey. The youngest son looked at the female Gerda, and he said, So you are the bride that I have chosen for myself? That is so, the female Gerda said. Well, at least you can talk, the youngest son said, even if you cannot provide valuable carpets and a soft and agreeable oil and delicious food for my household, you can at least talk. Yes, I can do that, the young monkey said, but do not forget that by throwing your spear, you yourself chose me for your bride. No, I will not forget it, the young man said, but my father will not want to come out to settle the matter with your parents, therefore you must come with me on my horse so that I can take you home. The youngest son wrenched his spear out of the tree and held out his arm to the monkey. Taking hold of it, the female Gerda lowered herself onto the horse's back and the youngest son rode home with the female Gerda. In the house, he showed the monkey the angareb. The female Gerda laid down on it and went to sleep. The youngest son went to his father and said, You are right, O father. I threw my spear into the desert and when I rode after it, I found it stuck in the sand outside the house of a female Gerda. What did you do? The youngest son said. Well, I have brought the female Gerda back with me. You must settle the matter yourself, the emir said. Well, now I shall have to make the best of what my wife does for me in the house. I have given the female Gerda an angareb. She will be given her food and her drink. There is nothing else that I can do. The emir's two elder sons got married. Their wives furnished their houses and provided carpets and cushions and all manner of things. One day the Emir said to his eldest son, My son, tomorrow I shall pay you a visit, and I will eat with you, for I would like to see how you are living now that you are married. The eldest son hurried back to his wife and said, Tomorrow my father is coming to eat with us. You must see to it that he is pleased. <coughs> the next day the father arrived and was welcomed by his son. The son led his father into the house and invited him to take his place on the cushions and carpets. Finely dressed leaves arrived bearing aromatic sherbet, after which they came in carrying a beautiful sinai on which there were many different kinds of food. The father observed everything and it was late. When he finally rose to go, he said to his son, I can see, O eldest son, that you have married well and that your wife looks after you and your household most excellently. The following day, the father visited his second son, in the same way, having warned him beforehand that he was coming. And here too, the Emir found rich furnishings and good, well-organized hospitality. He also wished his second son all happiness in his domestic life. The Emir's youngest son had ridden away from his house during the afternoon and went wandering around the countryside, for since the monkey had been living in his house, he no longer felt at ease within its mud walls. And whereas before he had never found his dwellings ugly, now that he shared it with the monkey, and by comparison with the fine homes of his happily married brothers, it seemed to him unendurable. The youngest son turned to go home and on his way back met his father who had just been entertained by his second son. The youngest son greeted the emir and the emir said, How are things with you, my youngest son? Yesterday I dined with my eldest and today with my second eldest. And the food in each case was excellent. 
Both of them have been living very happily since they got married. Father, I cannot invite you to dine with me tomorrow, the youngest son said to his father. The youngest son went home, arriving late at night. He sat down on his anger and sighed. He sighed and was disconsolate. In the room next door, the female Gerda was stretched out on her angerib. She heard her husband's sighs and groans and came into him. She sat down on the angerib beside the young man and said, Tell me what's troubling you. Perhaps this is something that, I, that can be smoothed out. You're a kind monkey since you're concerned about my sorrow, the youngest son said. But nothing can be done about it. For just as you, a Gerda girl, would be better off with the mill Gerda than with the man, even though he were the son of an emir, so my household would be better provided for by any girl or woman, even though she might be less warm-hearted than you are. Listen, the female Gerda said, you are the emir's son, but you are just a man, and as such cannot know what a Gerda girl is like or how she feels and what she can do. So tell me what is troubling you. Kind Gerda girl, the youngest son said, you became my bride on the same day that my elder brothers chose their wives. Now their wives have furnished their houses and made them comfortable. The day before yesterday, my father dined with my eldest and today with my second eldest's brother. And he found everything very luxurious and comfortable. Their wives having provided them with fine, rich furnishings. Tomorrow, I myself ought to entertain my father. But how I could serve him with food between these bare mud walls and on this floor of how could I serve him with food between these bare mud walls and on this floor of beaten earth? Is that all? The female monkey said. The youngest son said, it is enough to make me sad. Well, nothing could be simpler, the, youngest girl, the young Gerda said. Quick now, saddle your horse and take me back into the desert this very night. Then you will not be troubled anymore by your ugly little Gerda. Now out in the desert, there is a town in which there are rich and beautiful women. I can show you the way. You can win the hand of a beautiful woman and she will come with all her possessions and by tomorrow evening she will be able to furnish your home for you. Believe me, there is no difficulty about this matter. You're a kind little monkey, the young son said. But tell me, what would then become of you? Oh, I would die, the female Gerda said. You are a kind little Gerda and you shall not die. For I won you as my wife by throwing my spear, and I will not be the cause of your death. Go back to your anger and sleep. I can go on living like this, and there is no need at all for my father to visit me. But thank you for coming to me and asking me the cause of my sorrow. That sorrow has gone away. You're not going to take me back to the desert to find yourself a beautiful young wife, the young Gerda said. No, I will not. You are my kind Gerda girl. You will stay here with me. Then there is something else that I have to say to you, the young Gerda said. Have you ever before known of a Gerda that could talk? No, I have never known such a thing before, the young man said. Having seen something so unusual with your own eyes, would you be prepared to believe me capable of other unaccustomed things? Certainly, the young man said, I would believe you to be capable of such things. Then tomorrow at midday, go to your father, the Emir, and invite him to come and dine with you. Your father will find everything as good as it was in your brother's houses. I will do as you say, the young man said. So the Gerda girl got up and went to her room to sleep on her angerib. The young man remained in his bed. This business with the Gerda girl is quite unlike anything I have ever heard before. After a while, the young man stole across to the other room to take another look at the remarkable Gerda girl. 
He went and stood beside her angarab. A little moonlight was filtering in through a crack in the old wall. It fell on the girl girl who was asleep on the angarab with her face turned away from the light. Observing the girl, the young man saw that there was a slit in the monkey's skin through which some locks of hair had spilled out. They were soft as silk and bound with a thread of gold. The young man looked at the hair. He put out a hand and cautiously touched the hair. The girder girl sighed in her sleep and he stole quickly and silently back to his own room. In his room was the spear that he had thrown. He ran his hand over the spear saying, Old friend, you can travel well and fast and far, but you cannot speak. What might you not tell me about all? What might you not tell me about all this if only you could talk? The next day at noon, the youngest son went to his father and said, The day before yesterday, O oh father, you dined with your eldest son. Yesterday, you dined with your second eldest son. Come today and dine with me, your third son. My unfortunate son, the father said, You're not married, but you have thrown away your good fortune and your comfort for a female murder. You'll be even more painfully aware of this fact if I come to share a meal with you in your lonely lodging. Father, I beg you to visit me today, the young son said. I will not refuse your request, the Amir said. I will come. And so the father mounted his horse and rode with his son to the latter's house. When the two riders arrived outside the house, they were met by a pair of magnificently clad slaves who came out of the house to hold their horses. Then two other servants unrolled a long silk mat between the door and the gate. They helped the Amir and his son out of the saddle and followed them as they walked towards the house over the silken materials. On their arrival at the door, the Amir and his son were met by handsome boys wearing a bowl of water and towels so that they could wash away the dust. Others removed their shoes for them so that they should not soil the beautiful carpets with which the floors were covered. The Amir was the first to enter the room. He immediately said to his son, Explain this, my son. The youngest son said, I can give you no explanation at all, O father, for I do not even know whether or not I am in my own house. But pray take a seat on these cushions and accept my hospitality, if indeed I have any right to call it my hospitality. The emir sat down. The youngest son sat down. They both observed the carpets that lay on the floor and decked the walls. They looked at the cursey upon which had been played a gold sinai bearing 30 different kinds of food. When he ate the food, the emir found it more delicious than anything he had ever tasted before. But he said nothing, thinking to himself, I will not ask my son anything, for this whole affair of the female Gerda is nothing but a lie. And if I were to ask him, he would only tell me further lies. But I will do what I can to show up all his lies so that I can punish him for them. When he ate the food, the youngest son found it even more delicious than anything he had tasted. But he said nothing, thinking to himself, Ever since I saw the silken locks plated with gold under my girder girl's monkey skin, all I can be sure of is that I know nothing at all about her and her doings. If I say anything to my father, he will not believe it, but will think that I am a liar. But I shall take care to find out what else is concealed under my girder girl's monkey skin. After the emir and his sons and his son had finished eating, the father rose and said, I see to my joy, O oh my youngest son, that you are living in circumstances just as happy as those as your elder brothers. Now I shall leave your house. Accompany me home and do not forget that I owe all three of you a meal in return for those prepared by your wives. Therefore, I should like you and your three admirable wives to dine with me tomorrow evening.
Very well, I will come, the youngest son said. The Emil laughed and said, but not alone. You must bring your wife who provided so splendidly today, for I wish to make her acquaintance. The young son accompanied his father home. And when he returned to his house, it was as bare and dirty as it had been before. He crept into the other room where the Gerda girl was lying on her angareb, but there was no hair to be seen, nor was there any moonlight coming through the crack in the wall, but only sand blown by the wind, and it filled his eyes, chasing him back into his own room. So just in the interest of time, unless people want to keep going, I'm going to stop there. But the story, you know, continues and unfolds and there is so much more drama. And uh, before I go into any commentary, any thoughts, questions about the story, anything else? Well, I was just going to say that once again, this is like a European fairy tale on steroids because I'm thinking of the the Russian story of the frog princess mm -hmm. where it's the czar and his three sons and he's got this frog, but, but really that story is like done. This is way beyond the, 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 the frog princess. Yeah. It, it, it's a really complex story. It, it touches on so much good stuff. And I, I loved this story from the very first day I read it. I was just like, what is this? Like, and what's, what's really sweet is that I read this story at a time when I was still new to African mythology and folklore. So I was still getting to know a lot of these stories and I was just blown away. And here's a sneak peek. This story is also illustrated. So there is an illustration of the girl which has not yet been released and you will see it when the book comes out. So I'm pretty excited about this. But even, even uh, more in my retelling, so all of the stories in this book are told from the perspective of the women. So they're either told in the narrative voice or they're told that, you know, in the first person perspective. So in this story, you hear the young son, the emir, you hear their thoughts, you hear their motivations. In my retelling, it's told from the girl's perspective. And um, she, she is of a kind of being called the Alejenu. And the Alejenu are uh, 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 spiritual beings in the, the worldview of, of, of African. Of, uh, so they... It's, it's a belief that cuts across many different African people in the northern Nigeria, Chad, Sudan area. And so there is something that Spear has a context around it. Her being who she is, the monkey, like there is just so much going on there. And his mother comes into the story at one point. So the whole my retelling is told from the girl's perspective. And there is, you know, drama, 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 and it's beautiful. And there is just, I'm, I'm really excited about this. I can't wait for you guys to, to read the stories and hear your thoughts about it. So, but yes, it's, it, it's, we are, we're really only halfway through the story right now. And I really want to be sensitive to people's time. So I'm going to cut it here, but, you know, build up a little bit of suspense. And um, I know that we have read this story before. Um, I noticed that some Twitter spaces from all the way last year, like even the middle of last year, are still available. That might be a good fallout from, you know, all the shakeups at Twitter. So I will go and see if some of these spaces might be available online. And if they are, I will link them so you can get the full story. Um, we also have a link in the thread announcing this session to a blog post where the story is discussed um, uh, it's a 
woman, a writer called Midori Snyder, who does some commentary on the story. So if you just can't wait to hear the end of the story, you can read it there too. Or you can buy a copy of my book, which is um, available for pre-order right now. Um, it is, like I said, a retelling of folk tales from different African peoples. And I have um, the table of contents, which should be shared in here. There are 20 stories in total. Five of them are brand new stories, which I tell um, based on the particular culture and the context. But the other 15 are well-known folk tales, which I retell either as uh, poems or in prose format. And uh, quite a few of them are illustrated. So we have pictures to go with them because something that happens a lot in um, African mythology and folklore is that you don't have pictures um, to go with a lot of the characters. So like take this monkey girl, for example. Um, I, I The way I see it, there should be so, so, so many stories um, about her and they're just, they're, you know, there, there should be many illustrations of her, um, but there is barely any that I can, I can find. So um, I made a point to have her illustrated and um, Ijeoma Osi, who did that illustration, did an amazing job. Like, I don't know if you picked on the fact, picked up on the fact that the girls were a little bit cheeky and, you know, a little irreverent and she captured that just absolutely perfectly. So I can't wait to share that with you guys. I put a link in the in the space if you want to pre-order the book um, there's also a merchandise store um, mark who is here is one of the illustrators and he did uh, kahindo who is a, a goddess from nyanga folklore um, so her story and her scenes will be will be part of this project as well but that's all i have for today i'm so glad i got to share um at least two of these lesser known stories with you guys because they they were really some of my favorites and it was such a pleasure to retell them so before we wrap up for the evening last minute questions comments thoughts If not, then I'm going to thank you guys so much for making time. Please be safe. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your people. Have a great weekend. Um, fun. And yes, glad, glad you could make it this evening. Bye, everyone.